Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is the legendary movie producer, Larry Kasanoff, who knows firsthand that mass success requires taking big risks. It paid off for him with blockbuster movies like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and Mortal Kombat, and many other feature films. Larry will be the first to tell you that excelling in any creative field requires taking big risks. In today's episode, Larry talks about his latest book, A Touch of the Madness, which teaches that embracing your crazy side, the most creative, unique, and boldest part of you, is your greatest asset when it comes to creating something truly original. Welcome to Lifeology. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. I am as well. Obviously, we all have seen these movies that you've produced. How did you get into the creative space like this? So I wanted to be a movie producer since I was a little kid. I was fortunate in that yeah. my dad took me to see a James Bond movie when I was like nine or 10. When I left the movie. I said, okay, I want to be that guy, James Bond. But what about the guy on the screen that said the producer, Cubby Broccoli presents James Bond. What does uh, that guy do? And as soon as he told yeah. me, I was hooked. So I planned and planned and planned. If I get to good schools, I'd meet people and I'd get into the, into the business. And, I, and it worked. And I got very lucky. And out of grad school, I got a job working for a new independent studio in the mid-80s. And in those days, there was a boom in home video. Like today, there's a boom in stream. New home video stores yeah. needed new product. And so my job, my first job was, was head of production and acquisition for this studio called Vestron. And I had to deliver 80 movies a year, 8-0. My instructions were buy them, make them, co-produce them, don't lose money or we have a problem. And that was it, kid. Good luck. And so we made horror oh movies and, and, and rom-coms and low-budget action movies, and they worked really well. But then, uh, soon into it, we got a script for a movie called Platoon. And Platoon was not mm. that kind of a movie. Platoon was a serious yeah. movie about the Vietnam War and the effect it had on kids. None of the people in it were stars. We usually put stars in movies. They, were, they became stars, but they weren't. The director, Oliver mm -hmm. Stone, I thought was a genius. We had done another movie with him, but it hadn't been successful. And so my boss said, you're crazy. I hear that a lot. We don't, we don't make this kind of movie, but I fought for it. And he said, okay, if you want to do it, you're the head of production. You can, but there's always a but. You have to bet your job. If it fails, you're fired. Oh. And I thought, what do I do? Oh, I have gosh. the greatest job in the world. But then I thought, well, I didn't get into the movie business to play it safe. So I greened the platoon. When I saw the first cut, I'm the only person in history to giggle their way through this serious movie platoon, not because it was bad, because I thought, oh, my God, it's great. I'm not getting fired. And it was so good. It, 
It was so good, it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. A That's few months movie. later, I ran into Oliver Stone, uh, the director, at a bar in New York one night. And he bought me a drink. And he said, you know, kid, I always liked you. You have a touch of the madness. And I thought, touch of the madness? A little, a little bit crazy? Is he calling me crazy? Am I crazy? And then I thought, well... <laughs> And I thought, you know, my boss is crazy to, to give a 25-year-old kid an 80-picture film slate with no prior experience. Oliver had a touch of the madness by insisting on making a, 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 a Vietnam movie the way no one else did. And I certainly had a touch of the madness by betting the greatest job in the world on it. So right then and there, that became my touch. Mm. This is what you need to innovate. This is what you need to be great. You need, without a touch of the madness, tune wouldn't exist. And I think the reason that's also important is because I, I believe the current of the river of life pulls everyone towards the middle. You can't do it. Don't take mm. a chance. It's the risk. Mm -hmm. Everyone towards the middle. And the problem with that is in whatever you're doing, making movies, products, websites, podcasts, whatever, if you go towards the middle, you will be eclipsed by those who don't because the audience doesn't mm. want the middle. The audience wants the new and the different. And the best way to get to, to, to swim against that current is to be fearlessly innovative, the best way to do that is to have a touch of the madness. That's quite a story there. You know, I want to go back to the aspect of you had the moment when he told you that your job was on the line. Mm -hmm. You had the opportunity right then to say, OK, well, I want to play it safe for, you know. But what was it specifically? What was the thought you had or what was the that moment that clicked that said, no, I'm going to do this regardless if I lose my job or not? I just had this really strong instinct that the world was ready for this kind of a movie about Vietnam and the way Oliver had chosen to tell it, which was more about the psychological effect it had on the kids mm -hmm. who went versus the physical effect, which had been done. I just completely mm -hmm. believed it. One of the things I encourage in the touch of the madness is it doesn't just mean be crazy with your idea. You have to hang on with this unbelievable zeal. And I just mm -hmm. got it in my mind that this movie was going to be a hit. You know, when you have a job like that, where you're, overseeing 80 movies a year. You can't get into all the details of all the movies. You have to get sure. really good at, at picking, you know, directors' concepts and betting them like crazy because you can't get into the weeds, so to speak. And I, I just had this yeah, feeling that I fair. couldn't let this go. I couldn't get it out of my mind. That's how I pick a lot of things. I think, do they have a touch of the madness and do I keep remembering it? Mm -hmm. So I, I think mm -hmm. I never would have forgiven myself if I didn't make Platoon. So yeah. I made so from a real housekeeping standpoint here, just for a lot of people may not know what a producer is. And so I want to actually explain more of that. And then we'll go back into the book itself. So, so people have a better understanding of what a producer does. So a movie producer is kind of akin to being a real estate developer. A real estate developer will see a plot okay. of land in Fort Lauderdale and see that's a nice area, but you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a country club there, but my country club is going to be sustainable and I'm going to get. Uh, such and such store to come in and be an anchor tenant and I'm going to get this architect and I'm going to get so-and-so to finance it. And then they, they, they put the whole thing together financially, creatively, and then they market and then they oversee the building. That's what a producer does. Producer says, I have an idea for a movie. Maybe we should do a movie based on a video game called Mortal Kombat. And well, what would the story be? And how do I get it financed? How do I get it released? Who's in it? Where do we shoot it? So you kind of oversee the whole project from a financial, creative, and marketing point of view. Wow. Okay. Because I, I know most people think that a director is someone who does that, but it it's makes I, the way you explain that obviously makes perfect sense to me as well. Well, and you know, these, these aren't these aren't titles like laws of physics. They do blur a little bit, and 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 there are directors mm -hmm. who also produce, 
because you're also direct. But again, if you use the real estate analogy, which isn't perfect, but good, the director is more like the architect. Yeah. And, and so he's, he's architecting the movie in that aspect of it, mm -hmm. but he's not really responsible for the financing or the marketing or the kind of concept of it. But it, it just, it does change based on the strength of the various parties involved. But in general, the producer is the one who oversees the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So for my viewers and listeners, you're like, what does a producer do? Now, you know, let's jump back into your book, a touch of the madness. So when it comes to madness, you know, obviously that has a different connotation or different meaning for many different for people. A lot of people listening right now aren't in the, in the entertainment industry. Some can be, um, work very hard as a housewife, which is a amazing job. Probably, probably one of the hardest jobs anyone can have, but people can be CEOs in companies or students. How would you really measure the madness when it comes to people's specific lifestyles so i think that's a great question and and the touch of the madness isn't just for people in the movie business i mean my stories may be a little more mm -hmm. colorful than, than the normal ones but it's mm -hmm. for anybody it's, it's for the housewife it's for the ceo it's for the product manager and and the question really is to say to them and the reason i wrote the book is because i think deep down a lot of people today more than i've ever seen are scared of truly embracing their inner creative selves and I meet yeah. so many people who, after I talk to you for a while, after they read the book, they say, you know, I, I really always wanted to do this, but I was kind of afraid. Whatever it is mm. that you want to do, from a housewife to a CEO, if you say, you know, I've got this idea, it's crazy, everyone tells me I'm nuts, my, my partner will be mad at me, my parents will kill me, that's the one to do. And I think that's mm. how you measure it, that's how you encourage it, that's yeah. what I wrote the book for. It doesn't matter what it is, big, small, whatever. What matters is, that you say, this is what I want to do, and, and, and I do it. So I can give you an, an example. Um, my other life, I'm a photographer, and a friend of mine is a, is a model, and a few years ago, right in the middle of the pandemic, um, she wound up in the, in the hospital with a really severe injury to her hand, and I didn't even know she was there. I, was, I had been away, and she'd been there for five or six days, and no one came to see her. She doesn't live, she's not from this country, and it was the pandemic, so people were scared to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah. So I found out and I said, okay, well, what, what are we going to, you know, what can I do? And so I, she gave me a list of stuff she needs. So I went to the grocery store and to her house to get clothes and everything. But as a joke, you know, this is a model I've shot a lot before in photography. I, I stopped by Victoria's Secret and I bought this really inexpensive laundry <laughs> just so I could say, and of course you need to look good in the hospital, which of course yeah. you don't, yeah. but I thought it'd be fun. Cheer up. And so That's at right. the end of the, you know, I was at a place unpacking the stuff in her, in her room. And I and she laughed when I saw the laundry, and it was almost, you know, uh, visiting hours were almost over. And I said, "What else do you want to do?" And she said, "Well, you brought laundry. I want to do a photo shoot." And I didn't even have a camera; I just oh, said, really in the hospital. And when you she had a tube through her hand, through her hand. Oh my gosh! Wow. And I, I, it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen because in the middle of of all this um, strife and 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 health scares for her, she wanted to play which is one of the things I, I advocate. It was great. Yeah. She posted the picture on her Instagram and it got more likes than any picture she ever had, except her management and a lot of other in her agents, they didn't like, oh, you can't do that in the hospital now. You can't mm. play this way. And she took it down and she was miserable. Oh. And, she, and, and three oh. months later, she finally said to herself, you know what? That picture is me. That's my creative mm. self. And she put it up again. It did incredibly well. And within three months, she had changed managers and agents. Her career took off and she got engaged. And that's wow. a touch of the madness. And it wasn't, it wasn't 
because per se the picture was so great it was because she was not being true to her inner creative self mm. until she posted that picture and then her whole life changed. wow that's it that's amazing you know it's it's so expand more on that the the concept of, of our support network um we don't need everybody to like us we just need the people around us that are, are healthy for us in psychology we teach that there are actually four different categories of people in your life the fourth category people who don't like you it doesn't matter what you say or do they're just not going to like you Third category, there's people that, that don't like you, but can be talked into liking you, but it's still a tenuous relationship. The second, the second category here are those like the frenemies or friends, but it's, it, they, you can arguments, et cetera, they're not, they're, and they're not 100% for you. But the top category are those individuals who will support you, doesn't matter what you say or do. Can you speak more to how to be very specific and intentional about your support group when it comes to creating the touch of the madness and how the support group, the healthy people can really help you through that? Well. You know, that's a great question because my entire life, half my family thinks I'm crazy. My sister-in-law thought I was crazy for the first 10 years. She was married to my brother. My, my, my dad used to say, oh, that kid. And, you know, I, I, I sort of encourage listening less. Everyone says you got to listen more to people, listening less. I mean, there are strong people in my support group, like my brother, who I listen to for advice. But I think when it comes to this and a touch of the madness, you got to listen to yourself. I mean, that, that, that last group is going to love you whether you do something crazy or not. And so that support sure, is wonderful yeah. to have because it's nice to have people care about you. But, I mean, yeah. some of the best ideas I've ever had, my closest people have told me I'm nuts. So a few years ago, um, when things were a little different in the world, we were negotiating with uh, Playboy to do a kind of um, – we're going to put an experience in London called a Night of the Playboy Mansion. It's VR experience. Mm -hmm. and, and it was yeah. a huge high-tech thing, and it was going to be a great party and a permanent attraction on Leicester Square. And I almost had the deal with Playboy, but I didn't quite have it. And they, had, they, have, they used to have a huge Halloween party at the Playboy, which was an incredible party. And so the director of, the, of the, what was going to be the, uh, the attraction said, you know, you should go dressed as a playmate. And I thought, what a great idea. I'll go dressed as a playmate. And, and I mean, I really went all out. I mean, fishnet stockings, makeup, I mean, which in all of it itself was a great learning experience about what women have to go through. Yeah. But my brother, <laughs> my, my best friends, they said, this is the worst idea you've ever had. You're trying to make a deal with these people. They're not going to appreciate this, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I've never been more popular at a party for some reason than, than that night. But more importantly, <laughs> we closed the deal because the Playboy people came up and said, we can't believe you went for it like this. Let's make the deal. <laughs> so if I listened to everybody. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. I was laughing because I remember um, two, two stories here. Uh, for me, I was, um, when I decided to leave my, my successful practice in Washington, D.C. For, for my psychotherapy, I was like, I want to do something different. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I want to uh, create a life for myself that's on my terms. I, I want to do something different. So I had wonderful, well-meaning people who were like, James, that's great, but you're very successful. Why would you do something different? But for me, just like, I don't know if it's a touch of the madness, but for me, I was like, you know, I, I, I'm not feeling fulfilled. So I decided to close my practice and I had an opportunity to go to London. I'm a, I'm a composer as well. I was going to compose music for some films over there and decided that wasn't right for me. So I came here and I was like, okay, here I am. I, um, I have my, I was in entertainment industry when I was a kid. Uh, I, I interview people for a living because that's what you do in, in, in psychotherapy. You talk to people to get them to a level to where they need to go. So I kind of reinvented it in that respect. And so I started Lifeology. And so here I am uh, seven years later, 
with over three and a half million people listening to my show. And thank you all for listening. I'm very honored by that. But it's something for me that I feel so fulfilled. Um, and it's hard to explain because in that moment, I, I had, like I said, well-meaning people that said, James, why would you change? Because things are going so well for you. And so I um, I guess now that I hear you talk about this, I suppose I had the touch of the madness as well. But it is something really interesting where when you have that innate ability or that that dream or that desire that even when you close your eyes, you can't see anything around you, but you close your eyes and you could see it. To me, that vision, it's that's the that's your calling, if you will, for lack of better words, that you just can't get away from it. And so the more you, f- you focus on that, I, for me, I feel like it really pushes you in the direction that you're supposed to go. What, what made you take the jump? What made you, what was the thing that made you finally go, you know what, I'm doing it. I'm closing the practice. I'm going for it. You know, it's, it's so funny. Um, I felt like everything that was, was happening in my life, doors kept closing. This is really silly, but what happened for me was uh, in my condo, uh, if on one side, it was over over a lake, but there was nine different, kind of like a square. So I was in the center square. All of the windows were fine, but my windows apparently were rotten, the, the, the wood frame. Mm-hmm. And my this HOA said, you need to buy all new windows. And it would have been thousands of dollars. And I was like, why would I have to do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense because logistically, it's theirs to pay for. But that moment of, I have to pay for something where I don't want to be here. That's actually what pushed me over the edge. It mm-hmm. was something silly, but... um it was in the sense of, I don't even want to be here. So something as simple as I had to pay a bill for something, I was done. So when I looked at my life, I was like, in every area of my life, it doesn't, it feels like I'm just not happy. And so the fact that I have to pay something stupid like that, I was like, I'm out. So as silly as that sounds, I just really listened to my gut and found that, do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel um, joy? Do I feel contentment? And I was starting not to feel that. So by then I was like, I'm out. So I just literally, literally, I think it was five days later, I put my house on the market, it sold in nine days and I was gone. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. And that's not silly. That, that, <laughs> that, that, that's, you, you followed your gut. You took the lead. That is what I call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't really think about what really pushed me over the edge, but I think that was it. When I was like, this is, this is the dumbest thing ever. And the funny thing was, is I found out later, my wood wasn't rotted. It was the fact that they painted my... Um, the the paint around it that they painted was chipped, and so they assumed it was being rotted. So oh, it's wow. kind of funny um, in the long run. Yeah, so I would have paid. Yes, I would have. I would have had to pay for all this stuff. I would have actually had to pay for it, but it pushed me pushed me over the edge, and so here I am. But let's go back to your book. Um, I really want to learn more about this. Is this like a memoir? Is this a instructional book? What kind of book is it? No, uh, hopefully it's a fun, inspirational book. It uses a lot of stories, like the ones I've been referring to today, to illustrate my point it's 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 a very quick easy fun read but the whole point of the book but it's not per se a memoir of my life i just use examples of fun movie business stories to illustrate my points about how to have a touch of the madness but the whole point is to hopefully give people two things inspiration and fun you can read the book in two and a half hours that's oh that's wonderful okay and and i like the fact that you know when we learn lessons sometimes we think it'd be so academic, you know, when we're in school, we have to learn these things and it's so overwhelming. So I like to hear that the the humor aspect of it, that the, uh, the anecdotes that you have, it's relatable. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. So when I've used the listeners purchase your book, a touch of the madness, they'll definitely learn more about that as well. Thank you. No. And there, this is not an academic book. There's no PowerPoint presentations. There's no slides. There's none of that. It's just fun. (laughs) Yeah. What would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned and I always put people on the spot like that. What's the biggest lesson you think you've learned in your in your career thus far? Well, like, 
Well, again, not to be repetitive, but but I, I I would say it's it's really boils down to this: don't be afraid. Just don't mm. be afraid. You you you, or if you're afraid, do it anyway. I mean, you took that jump, and if you hadn't, we wouldn't yeah. be talking today. So I think the yeah. biggest lesson so far is I don't care what you say, I don't care what you think, I don't care what I have to do, I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to do it. So so don't be afraid leads you to a, to a, its close its close companion which is persistence. I mean, at the end of the day, talent is half the battle and you just have to never, ever, ever give up. There are movies, some of which I've been involved in, that took 20 plus years to get to the screen, like Spider-Man, like, like Barbie recently, mm. but someone never gave up. Mm. Yeah. So, so, and there are so wow. many people we see who are so talented who maybe don't make it because they do give up. I mean, the, the, the best singers aren't necessarily the most successful ones. The prettiest models aren't necessarily the most successful ones, and so forth. It's it's just that unbelievable mm. adherence to gut and grit and perseverance, or whatever you call it. So the the, the lack of fear will, or the doing it anyway, will enable you to do the number one thing, which I've learned, which is never, ever, 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 ever give up your dreams. Yeah. You know, it, it was kind of like what we said before. It's you don't need everyone to like you; you just need one person to like you. That can really <laughs> open that door for you. I um I interviewed Alan Rivka, who's a co-founder of E Entertainment Television, and his story is very similar to what you're saying. He was saying that I think it was over 400 times he and his partner were rejected for funding for E Entertainment Television. Everyone said, "Why would we do this? This doesn't make any sense. Um, it doesn't really vibe with with what's going on in, in the world around us." Uh, but they were persistent with it and they wanted to give up, but they did not. And so funny thing is, he told me, I asked him, I said, so the people who said no before, do they come to you now with, with ideas? And he says, yes, all the time they do. And so it's really cool. interesting because, you know, people like yourself, I have that desire, like I'm going to go regardless. So it's funny because um, Alan's partner, Larry Namer, is a, is a good friend of mine and also a business partner of mine. So I, I, I've, I've spoken. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I've spoken to panels with Larry and said, yeah, that's exactly right. It took them, it took them years. You know, the, the first yeah. the first several uh, uh, months of it, they all slept on blank on, uh, on mattresses in the office or yeah. something. I mean, yeah, this is the game. This is this is why it exists. Yeah. And I think that's what really that, that drive, because um, you can be told a couple of times and it's really for me, it's more how much do you believe in yourself or in the activity? And with that, there's like we said before, a lot of well-meaning people who can talk you out of a dream. And so I think it's, it's really the tenacity of. I can't move forward unless I do this. But I think it's that fear that many people do have that if they allow themselves to be swayed by something, because many people have tried things on their own and if, if it doesn't work, then that's the advice they're going to give to someone else because they think it's well-meaning. But unfortunately, well-meaning people don't always know what your specific future, what your specific, specific um, dream is and can't really help you through that. Yeah, and also, you know, again, it's what I was mentioning at the beginning. It's that current of the river of life. It's those well-meaning people or mm -hmm. it's the people who are a little afraid that if you do it, you succeed, then how come I didn't do it? And no matter what it yeah, is, it's true. all the chatter, but you have to just completely not listen to it. And I um, I hate to say this, but I kind of feel like if someone is talked outable of their idea, in other words, if you have a, if one has a great idea and then you run into – you know, cousin Betty at the at the supermarket, and she says, "Well, I, I wouldn't do that. That's crazy." And you listen, you know, then you're not really maybe the person for that idea, or you're not really being true to your inner sure. creative self. You you can't let yeah. that be sweet. I I get. I mean, I'm at the point in my life where if I come up with an idea for a movie or something else we do, and people say, "Oh my God, what a great idea! That's a slam dunk." I get a little nervous 
But if people say, oh, that's cold, <laughs> oh, pain, I feel this calm, like, like a mist in the beach in the morning in Bellamy, whereas the touch of the madness comes back and I go, okay, everything's I'm not perfect. I'm going to do it. So I'm at the other point where I, I only <laughs> feel good if people think I'm crazy. That's a good point. One, one more anecdote for myself, you know, it's making me think about all this stuff when I started Lifeology. I remember I went back, um, I, was, I just moved down to down here and I'm starting it. And I think I was here for maybe one or two months and was hadn't really formulated everything I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to talk. And so um, I, when I went back to DC, of, I guess a friend of me, that person in the category two, found out what I was doing. He said, James, why would you do that? Nobody wants to hear you. What do you have to say? Nobody, nobody has anything. There's nothing new that you can talk about. And he just really downplayed it. But in that moment, I remember listening to him. And, and then I, I had, I remember I, I specifically thought, I'm going to use what you're saying. I'm going to record this in my mind. And every single time I have, um, I have doubts, I'm going to hear that. And I'm going to prove to you that people will listen to what I say, not because of him, but I, I use those, those negative, those naysayers. I, I, those actually inspire me more than people who compliment me. Because when I hear that and I'm struggling, I hear that in my mind and I replay it over and over again. And I'm sure like a lot of people, I'm a scrapper. <laughs> I will push through something and I'll continue to do it until I'm able to accomplish it. So I always want to thank the naysayers. Thank you so much for what you're saying, what you do, because it inspires me to work even harder. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at the naysayers. Yeah. Unfortunately, Larry, our time is up. We could talk all day. If my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to learn more about your book, A Touch of the Madness, where would they find all this information online? Go to um, atouchofthemadness.com. Wonderful. My viewers and listeners also know that if they can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com. And I'll link you with Larry Kazanoff and his book, A Touch of the Madness. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest today. Thanks, James. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.